Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geomologist Presents. I am sorry I missed my midweek show. I've just been very busy traveling. It's been a crazy week. I think I'm not traveling, at least for work, until January. So that's a good thing. Now, the bad thing is that it was a great week. I went to a show up in uh, Atlanta after a work trip through Birmingham. So I flew into Atlanta, drove to Birmingham, drove back to Atlanta and then stayed the night. And then I was able to catch a show that happened to be there um, as a coincidence to my work trip, which was pretty awesome. But I, after coming back from the show, I don't know, I feel like when I'm getting older, I like fall a lot. I don't know if that's a normal thing. Um, like the other day I was uh, chasing one of their cats who got out and I didn't know that the some one of the dogs had dug a hole into the uh, dog run. And I tripped uh, in the hole and I scraped my knees. No big deal, right? And then here in Atlanta, as I was coming back from the show, I tripped, you know, on like a broken flagstone, um, stepped into a hole, tripped on a broken flagstone in the sidewalk. They're doing construction. I didn't, I don't know the area. I didn't know. Um, and I fell and I hurt my wrist really bad. I think it's a level uh, type two sprain, maybe, hopefully not broken. And I scraped up my nose, which, you know, me being vain is not a good thing. So, uh, yeah, so that happened. Now, that I'm going to talk about the show because it was awesome. I went to go see Merciful Fate with King Diamond. I've never seen Merciful Fate, um, despite them being around since 1982. That is a future show. I'm looking at the albums that were released in 1982, which includes the first, the debut Merciful Fate album, um, also a few other awesome metal hard rock albums. Um, I want to get together and do a show about that. I might, I was trying to convince my buddy David and maybe his son will come on too because his son is a, is a metal dude. So maybe uh, it'll be a special guest show. Anyway, that could be coming up sometime after Thanksgiving. But uh, anyway, and then I, I haven't really played much. I got to get into, finally, I got to get into a game of Reaver run by Joe Salvador of Raven God Games. We're playtesting this game. It's really cool. Good, good, tough little fight and combat and some interesting things that uh, we discovered. And and then I got to finally, we finally got um, our OSE Temple of Elemental Evil game going again, run by BJ Boyd of the Arcane Alienist. So I'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, pretty cool. But first off, we got Jason Connerly going to kind of respond to the last non-mini-review podcast about GMs, what are GM selling, what are players buying into. So I'll play those messages and then um, respond to, excuse me, to, that's a hiccup, Jason's calls. Carry on my wayward son, there'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Hey, Carl, Jason here. Really enjoyed your talk with BJ. You hit some interesting episodes or interesting ideas. I think ultimately it just shows that if players are going to agree to play in a pre-written adventure path or pre-written module or in a, in a, a pre-plotted out game 
campaign that the GM has come up with, they're just accepting that they're going to be in a railroad, you, you know, to some degree. And they need not to complain about that. If they agree to play in this adventure path or this module and, you know, they're demanded that they're going to be taken prisoner or give up their sword, then, you know, they agreed to play in that railroad. You know what I mean? If, if, if you're playing in a, in a world that's, um, now I'm brain farting. I just typed this on discord, what the word is, and I can't remember it, but, but, but if you're playing an emergent game where things are being determined as you go, then that's a little bit different, but pretty much anything where you have plot points built in is going to be a railroad to some, like your enemy within, you know, I, I would argue that that boat burning was a railroaded thing because it's written in the game before you ever started the game. It was determined their boat was going to get burned. You know, so that's definitely a railroad. Um, now, that doesn't make it bad. Again, if the players agree to it, that's fine. It's not a problem at all. It, but you need player buy-in so they don't complain about it. But all in all, interesting episode. Really enjoyed it. Keep up the great work. Can't wait for your next episode. Hey, Jason. Thanks for the call in. Some excellent points. And uh, I guess in a way you're speaking to the choir, right? If the players decide, hey... This is what we want to play because it's what you propose, GM. What I usually would have done in the past, actually, is put things to a vote. Like, what are we going to play? What do we want to play? Here's some options. I have a huge shelf full of options, right? Like many of us do. And, um, and this is what the players want to play. So, like, for example, when, we, when I said, hey, let's do a palate cleanser game, or they suggested a palate cleanser game, uh, what do we want to play? Let's do Ghost, Ghost of Salt Marsh. We've heard good things about it. Um, I told them, okay, well, the first adventure... The way that starts you out is kind of a um, redo, redo of Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. So, you know, it's an adventure. This is what we're going to play. And they're like, cool. Well, that, that's the way it's going to go. We're going to go to this haunted house. We're not going to diverge, you know, on the path to the haunted house. We're not going to go down to the Dwarven Mine or go out to sea first. We're going to check out the haunted house because that's what we agreed to do to play this adventure, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. Um, same thing with what we did the other day. Oh, that is another game I will have to, as an addendum, I ran I ran a game of the Fallout 2D20 Modifius game. So I will have to talk about that as well as an addendum. I just remember that. Or maybe, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll talk about it in a different episode. I don't want this episode to be too long, but we, we, we played uh, Fallout 2D20 as I asked the characters, what do you want to play? Hey, I have the starter set for Fallout 2D20, we're playing the starter set. This is what we agreed to do. And of course it's, you know, a set piece, set of adventures, and it's meant to show the players how the game works. So yeah, it's gonna be um it's gonna be a little a little, if not a lot, railroady. I think what's interesting about, you know, talking taking their swords, taking their stuff, putting players prisoners, I don't know if that really works in the middle of a campaign, even though it is written. This is my opinion. I really didn't like the execution in the 5e Iron Kingdoms game that I use. I didn't like how that was implemented. Um, so, and, and I, I really don't think they revised it, the timeline very well in the published product or in the future PDFs. We were running off the PDF because I got it advanced copy because of Kickstarter. But um, yeah, I don't, and I think like if, if you're starting an adventure where the characters are in prison, they don't have their stuff, um, they wake up and they've been, been shanghaied, that's a little different because then you you probably tell the players ahead of time, hey, this is how the scenario starts, right? Like I think a great start to the scenario and the players really love the idea. 
unfortunately, the uh, the campaign wasn't it was not sustainable for maybe I'll say why again. But um, but in the uh, in a Pathfinder adventure path, right? So the adventure path was called is a strange eons, and in the first adventure, the players wake up in an asylum with their memories like wiped, right? So tell the players ahead of time this is what's going to happen it, they were like oh that's pretty cool it looks like really fun and we you can you find out who they are in their memories slowly and then the second adventure uh it's called the the first adventure is actually called what's it called i will tell you what it's called it is called here it's coming it's coming it's coming i can't find the it is called in search of sanity the second book in that uh adventure past strange eons is is the Thrushmore Terror, and in that one, you after escaping from the waking nightmare of Briarstone Asylum, they go to the town of Thrushmore and unravel more mystery about their lost memories. And yeah, and after they solve that mystery, there's no real incentive to keep going. They 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 learned um, that they were not so nice people, and then they saved the town. Why would they leave, right? I mean, that's, so there was, and in that, like, I want you to leave the place that you just kind of established, your, reestablished yourself in after being such bad people, and now you've redeemed yourself, I don't know, it would be more conducive to doing adventures around there instead of then trying to find out the person who wiped your memories. I guess it, revenge was not such a strong incentive, at least for these players, this group of players, right? So anyway, that's, that was how that was set up, and that was, I think, fine. Um, maybe it, like during the middle, and again, you know, um, the um, well, even so, I mean, that's what Warhammer, that's what Enemy Within does, right? In the middle of the of the the sort of saga, you lose your boat, um, and the goal, the idea, is so that you can go to Altorf, right? So you don't, you're not, sorry, not go to Altorf, but go to Middenheim, which is not on the river. And you wouldn't be able to take your vote anyway. But in theory, I guess it could be done a little better, even if the player characters don't lose their boat. There was still enough incentive. I think they were going to go anyway to Middenheim because they wanted to follow up on some clues that they had discovered in previous adventures. So I don't know. It is like like uh, people call it the quantum ship burning, but perhaps it's not quite necessary. And maybe... It ends up being just like a, a funny side note and anecdote um, as part of the pathetic aesthetic of Warhammer Fantasy, right? But uh, anyway, Jason, thank you so much for the calls. And I hope that helps to answer at least, you know, what the GM is selling and what the players might be buying into. Um, yeah, I guess another example in The Lost City, right? Uh, the, the premise is you... You're stumbling through the, the premises. You're stumbling through the desert and come upon a ruin. And again, you know that's a setup. You've lost everything. Now you got to find it because you've and you've lost your way. And now you got to find out what the hell is this thing sticking up out of the desert, right? There are a lot of adventures that do that. That have the sort of kind of you've lost everything kind of setup. Um, and I think that might that's a better, easier to swallow occurrence than taking your stuff in the middle of an adventure. But uh, like you say, if the players have have bought into it, what the GM is proposing, then uh, yeah, that's what we should be doing, maybe. Or at least we should be communicate 
and be amicable about it, amicable about it, and uh, not try to derail an adventure we've tried to play. I mean, clearly, an adventure setup, like a sandbox setup, where you know it's emergent and the characters can go in different directions. You know, much like when I if I were to set up, um, even though you're playing adventures in Harn, and I think the best you play that adventure in Harn, and that was that again, there was that was like a mission. But if I were running an actual Harn campaign, I think there would be a lot of. I mean, I, I loved what the Riddle of Steel did, and that it gave characters like motivations and things that they they were do, ambitions. I think it was called ambitions. It might be uh, Arlen Walker would could call in and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's ambitions. But the players had ambitions and they would try to promote their ambition during the course of play. And then that led to some great emergent occurrences that, yeah, there might be an, a little thread going out, out on the background, but, um, you know, they can do what they want. And, I, and I'm kind of liking how Kingmaker might be set up in that way too, because while there is a, a mission or like a story thread that kind of weaves its way through. There's also a sandbox and the players know we've talked about it can go, go and explore whatever hex they want to. And there's incentive XP to explore the hexes. Um, so and can gather resources, maybe find allies, maybe find some cool treasure, right? To as explore the hexes in the territory they're supposed to be, um, I guess, competing to get a charter for. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's really a lot of different ways to do it, both uh, in sort of the, the story mode and emergent mode, right? But anyway, I think the um, bottom line is you got to communicate to your players what the options are, what we're going to do, and hopefully they'll buy in. Again, Jason, thanks for the call. Speaking of railroads, no, I'm just kidding. We're really having a great time in the Reaver playtest by Joe Salvador, and uh, we a lot of cool stuff happened. I missed the last time, um, but um, but this time was pretty exciting. And I'm working off the summary that Joe did on Trello, our Trello site. So uh, so here we go. So follow. We had this big battle at the mound, and uh, Gorak, who is one of the the bear men, um, kind of primitives that live in the in the mists, and Wolfgar. Um, who is uh, played by Joe Richter, gathered up the dead and started burning them in a large pile, pyre, sorry, sorry while myself, Asgold, I play Asgold the Lame, a shaman, and Laszlo um, interrogate the prisoner. Brutus also helped to interrogate. He was there adding muscle and stares and intimidation. We intimidated uh, him and beat him a little bit too, um, promised him mercy, uh, but you know, whatever. He told him that the Crimson Cult isn't actually the name of the group, and they follow this these creep these guys called the Solo Solomonari, also known as Sholomancers. And they're a mythical circle of demon worshipping sorcerers that keep a fortress somewhere in the Wolkarthian Mountains. And this kind of cool information is what Joe gives in his game. And what's gonna be neat about Reaver is not just the game system, which I really enjoy. It's dynamic, it leads to kind of cool things you can do in combat and out of combat, but it also, you know, is this world that he's been, you know, working on. And I, I hope there's a lot of stuff about the world or he'll have the first book going and then have a world book. And uh, I think that should be, that'd be pretty cool. 
but he's given a lot of thought to this. Anyway, um, the cult soldier, this guy is following a person called Vestiza the Iron Weaver, who seems to have the spear that Wolfgar is looking for. That was taken from his people. They took his father's spear. And they're exploring the mists at the order of this guy named Ugomir Baulari, who's also a Sholomancer, who has set himself set himself up in Daraxium. Oh, that might be one of the people that um, our buddy Kato saw um, with the, the gem that came from the Spear of the Mist. The soldier fears Ugomir, who sees us now and hears our words, and thus Tisa has allied herself with the Skull Tribe, who are the enemies of the Bear Tribe, and is still excavating or looking for treasure in the mist, and is probably in the village now. He also insinuates that the Skulls have some abominable religious practices, and he considers them savages, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Wolfgar hears the talk of the spear, he takes interest, tries to get more information. Um, he doesn't know why they brought the spear. So then we, uh, yeah, we just throw him on the pyre and he's burned to death, burned him alive. And Wolfgar notes that the pillar of black smoke above them would be visible all around the valley. Hmm. We didn't think about that at the time, honestly. So uh, Brutus and Laszlo then investigate a stone mound that the cultists were excavating. This is where we came upon them and fought them here. And they find that there were two hexagonal blocks that had been removed. And Brutus kind of goes in, lights a torch, sees a mummy with a strange desk mat, death mask and some gold jewelry. So Brutus takes the riches and the mask. And there's a pendant, a scepter, some other stuff. Nothing's really kind of magical. And, um, and But the, there's the same sort of ivy tentacles and patterns that we saw in the chamber of El Ormoth. So we've seen this before. And the runes engraved are very similar to what we saw in Rudabringi's cave. So the mummy itself was ancient, and it had the rotted remains of robes and overwrapped limbs. And most unusual was its elongated skull and abnormally long digits. So either head wrapping or alien, right? Pretty interesting. So we gather up the equipment and pack them onto workhorses before following Gorak back into the mist. And we're going to try to get back to the bear tribe and his people. And Kato's there, and, and Blue, the big aurochs, is there too. Um, we don't make a fire. We eat rations, um, have a conversation. We inspect the loot. And while it's very valuable, we could buy a whole city from this. Um, we, we study the mask, and I study the Book of Alchemy. And then Laszlo's request, Wolf, Wolfgart speaks of the spear and describes it as, as a symbol of his clan. And, um, right. Anyway, we set up watch. Laszlo takes it first, but sometimes in the watch, um, these people attack the horses. And the horses start screaming. We rush into the camp and we see the dull red glow of the bleeding skull peering back at, at Laszlo. Um, then they kill three of our horses and the rest of us join the fray as they're aroused by the screaming horses and, the, and Laszlo fighting. Um, he attacks the bleeding skull, it gives it furious blows, but is repulsed, gets wounded. Uh, I am able to cast a spell that causes several of the skull warriors to fall asleep. So no, so spell casting is cool in this game. I think because you, I don't, I like a, a system much like DCC where spell casting is not like a given, right? You can cast a spell, but it could go awry. And I like that uh, Joe has incorporated this into the game system. Um, so some, there's times when my spells have not gone well for me and the others. So, um, so I like that this time the spell worked. Um, and then I, I'm able to also heal, um, heal Laszlo as he's getting beat up by the bleeding skull. Uh, eventually, uh, we, we hit the, the front. The Wolfgar and Gorak are holding the flank. 
um, against uh, against two other skull warriors, and uh, we jump on the bleeding skull. Brutus, uh, Jason Connerly's character, and I surround the bleeding skull and press him with thrusts and slash slashes. Um, eventually, we take him down. Actually, it was my character that ran him through, um, but Brutus and Laszlo also dealt him some damage. So it was a team good team effort on the bleeding skull. Uh, Wolfgar and Gorak hold off the remaining ones long enough um, for Laszlo to kind of help, and then they a couple I think a couple of them flee, and Wolfgar and Laszlo chase them down or chase one guy down. So uh, when we inspect the skull, we find the mask. It's a mask and. It's pulled off, but it's kind of stuck to its face in a way, like blued or you know burned onto its face. And there's a man below the skull, um, and we take the mask, but we have not yet examined it. So I think that's what we're going to say for the next time. And we definitely want to hit the skull tribe. We want to get the bear tribe on our side to go after their enemy. If, since we've killed the, ble killed the bleeding skull, which I guess is like in a boogeyman maybe to the bear tribe, undefeatable but we killed them so maybe that'll help to bring them in line but that was uh, a very epic session of reaver and i can't wait uh, until the next time so thanks very much joe uh, for running that and um yeah cool stuff The other game I got to play in, which is interesting since I, I mean, I ran, like I said, that Fallout game um, a couple last Thursday, Thursday, the, I want to say the, so I ran that Fallout game on the 10th of November and I haven't been able to, I was going to run, I was scheduled to run like some Warhammer, get back to our Warhammer game uh, this past Thursday, but because of my injury, yeah, I was in too much pain when I came, I mean, I got back early. Honestly, I don't know how I managed to drive with one hand um, without GPS to Atlanta Airport from downtown. Somehow, you know, the gods helped me to uh, get there. But uh, anyway, I mean, once I got on the highway, there's no problem. But getting out of downtown, I was like, uh, and I spotted the highway and I drove there and I was like, okay, I know Hartfield is south. So I went south and fortunately signage was really good. So, you know, signage and the gods. Because um, there's like no GPS signal in downtown Atlanta. It was really weird. Um, also weird because I was like thinking of The Walking Dead. Because um, there's that, you know, in the first season, right, he, uh, there's a, he goes to Atlanta, right? Um, so anyway. Anyway, we finally got to play. There's been illness and other things uh, getting in the way of us getting back to our Temple of Elemental Evil game. And we've been stuck in Hamlet planning to go to Nulb. Um, we are, we beat up some merchants that were um, cultists of the eye. And then we, um, we got a lot of information about Nulb and how we could get in. And our plan is to be disguised as said merchants, or at least as factors employees of these merchants who are spies in Hamlet and then see what's up with Nulb and track down what the hell is going on with this cult because we think it's, you know, they were trying to, they've already established themselves in Nulb and uh, they're trying to do that in Hamlet, but, you know, we kind of stopped them. So 
Uh, we also have a cadre of um, nine mercenary Knowles. I think it's, and they're led by Beyonce Knoll. That is um, BJ's name. That's the name he gave the Knoll leader, which is kind of cool and funny, maybe, if you understand the reference. Anyway, we, um, we, we, I, I make sure that we get a, like, because um, they're humanoids and, um, you know, they're probably, like, attacked on site in most places. I make sure I get a, not a charter, but a letter of, you know, a letter of support from Lord Rufus saying that these are part of our mercenary band and they're sponsored, if not chartered, hired by the Badgers, right? Because we're part of the, the Badgers. So um, mercenary troop. So they're mercenaries of our mercenaries. So anyway, we uh, this finally, after some planning the last time and interrogating these merchant dudes, uh, we set off and um, we, set, uh, we, we set off and the Knolls are kind of scouting up ahead and BJ is doing some roles in the background. So fortunately, the uh, Knolls spot some bandits kind of um, kind of waiting, laying an ambush on the road. We take the low road uh, to Knoll because like we're going to pose as like, you know, merchants and see what happens. We have some places that we're supposed to go to and people we're supposed to contact and um, and we're on our way. And the Knoll spot this ambush. So we decide to counter ambush them and we sneak up on them. We we make our surprise roll. These guys are surprised, and we so there's like two groups of them. There's some groups watching the road, and there's like a group of like reinforcements a little away from the road. So we hit the group, the reinforcement group first, uh, which happens to include I guess their leader, and we take them out um, very quickly. I think uh, we fire volleys of arrows at them. And I think after the first vault, the surprise volley, there's only like. Um, two bandits and the bandit leader standing. Um, and then Beyonce, Noel charges in and starts fighting him. Uh, we finish him off that subsequent round with arrow fire and, and, and spear attacks. And then, um, and, and for the Knolls then move to wait and lay an ambush for the rest of the guys to come because the bandit leader was able to get off like a shout, oh, come and help us. Uh, and they, they did come and help and then they were effectively funneled into another um, you know, like shooting fish in the barrel type of situation where they run into the clearing and we, we unleash um, more arrows on them. Um, and then the, the bloodlust goes up. We have Beyonce, Noel, and Retlaw fight in the melee and the Knolls are picking off stragglers, Dude and uh, Raven and uh, uh, Narflin are shooting arrows as well into the fray. I'm taking them out. I think I think Narflin took out like three three. Uh, of the bandits, um, the little sneaky gnome thief guy uh, took these guys out. Uh, dude missed a few times, but he took a, one or two out maybe. Uh, did some damage. Um, Retlaw threw rocks initially in the initial volley too, which was fun. We looked it up, and half of it can throw rocks, which is kind of fun. Um, so, so then I mean, we annihilate them, and then they give up. Uh, we kept two prisoners, and. Um, and uh, we interrogate them. We, we get some uh, some of the same information, but some new information. They happen to be members of the cult. So, you know, um, we promise them that we'll show them mercy, a merciful death if they uh, cooperate. Um, they're bandits. Bandits are, you know, the, the sentence is death on the road, according to Verbonk. So um, at this time, so, um, well, uh, 
we collect the treasure and they have coinage, um, silver and copper and gems. So bandit leader had a, a cache of gems probably hiding from his poor guys. So we do, uh, maybe this is not the, the best thing to do. We are neutral. Most of the party is neutral. I'll look around and um, they're cultists of the eye. They've done a lot of damage in Hamlet, etc. So, well, you know, we turn them over to the to Beyonce and the Knowles and I ask their opinion, and she says, never leave an enemy alive. Because, it, I mean, their demeanor suggested that they, would, they wouldn't they would just, you know, throw down their weapons and take up the plow. They were going to go back to Knoll to get some more work and probably, you know, rat us out either inadvertently or on purpose. So you got to, you know, no survivors. So we turn let the Knowles uh, have their way with them. Probably going to eat them. Um, and maybe Law will join them. I don't know what half ogres eat. Probably people. And then, um, and then we find a lot of treasure. Like I said, silver and gems, silver copper gems. We give all the coins to the Knolls, and uh, we give Beyonce Knoll a nice gem too as a bonus because they did really well. And uh, then we made it to Knoll without further problem. And now we're going to go to the place that they told us to go to, and uh, meet with the guy who has an awful name. Um, I don't understand these Gygaxian names. It's kind of funny. Um, I'm not going to spoil it because you got to play Tele Temple of Elemental Evil if you play anything in your gaming lifetime. But um, yeah, it was good. Just encounters on the road. We got to Nulb. We're in the next phase of uh, Temple of Elemental Evil. Thanks so much, BJ, for running it. And uh, yeah, uh, fun stuff. Well, thank you everyone so much for joining me for the Geomologist Presents, and thank you to my caller, Jason Connerly. Hey, if you guys have any questions or comments about what Jason said or about what I responded to, that would be great. Also, any feedback on the Reavers recap or the Temple of Elemental Evil would be awesome too. And you can reach me through various ways. You can still drop me a message via Anchor, but onto the Anchor website, not through the app, which I know is really unfortunately cut back on the number of messages that I and a lot of others get here in the anchor sphere. So if you guys have any pull with anchor or Spotify, tell them that it really kind of sucks um, for building a community. Anyway, um, you can do that or you can record a message and leave it for me either at uh, my Gmail account, geomologist at gmail.com or through one of the various discords that I'm on. You can DM me through that and leave me a message and you can also leave me a, about a 90-second message, at least, using the a SpeakPipe account that I have. And I have that in the show notes. So thank you so much for the intro and outro music, TJ Drennan. And my wife, Amy, does the cover clip art for The Geomologist Presents. And uh, talk to you all soon. Thanks so much. <laughs>